You guys ready for God's Word today? Get your Bible and turn with me to Matthew 24. And before we stand, I'll, I'll give you a little background. I like to give you a little background on what we're talking from and talking about and talking to. Uh, and then we stand just to honor the Word of God. And today, um, today I kind of have really one of those messages that probably needs to be preached more often. I don't know is the most fun message in the world. Probably not going to go viral today. You know, if there was ever a day, probably not going to be today. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 4, which is a little bit apocalyptic in nature. Uh, Matthew's gospel, we believe, probably was the second written gospel. Mark's gospel was probably written first. Uh, Matthew's gospel was probably written using parts of Mark's gospel. You can kind of see that. And he kind of expands and expounds on it. Uh, Matthew is a Jew. He's the tax collector, also known as Levi. He's writing to Jews outside of Jerusalem. And, and his, his gospel is almost apologetic in that he is arguing that, I, I hate to say arguing, but he is emphatically declaring so that everyone is very sure that Jesus was indeed God's Messiah or the Christ. And he starts out immediately saying, hey, this was, this was the son of David, which the Messiah would come from the son of David. This is the son of Abraham. And then we have, you know, from the Christmas story of Matthew, we have, and this is Emmanuel, God with us. And so he is making that case very early. In fact, his gospel uh, next to John's, John has the highest Christology of all the gospels, meaning the, the, the clarity of Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah. Um, Matthew's is second to that. And Matthew is using a lot of Old Testament writing, 60 different quotes from the Old Testament, or 60 or so quotes from the Old Testament um, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment. And you have to understand, uh, it, you know, for us, if you're a Christian, you get it. First century Jews, Jesus did not categorically fit the box of the Messiah. And you kind of need to understand that. For them, the Messiah was not, he wasn't the incarnate God. So he wasn't equal with God. The Messiah was supposed to be an anointed by God person. That's what Christ actually means, by the way, the anointed one. Um, so the Messiah was someone God would send and he was anointed, um, but he wasn't God in the flesh. And the Messiah was supposed to come and he was a great military leader. He was going to overthrow essentially first century Judaism. He was going to overthrow the Romans because they were under the rule of the Romans. He was going to set them free. So they were looking for a conquering Messiah, not a suffering Messiah. Are, are you, so, so Jesus? this is why it was so hard for them to wrap their mind around Jesus being him. And this is why the disciples struggled because there was nothing in their eschatology. There was nothing in their theology. There was nothing about this Messiah who would come and suffer and die and rise again. This, this resurrection, this was not something they believed. That's why they wouldn't have made up the story of the resurrection, because they didn't have the theology to believe in that. This was all new. Are, are you with me? Their eschatology was there'd be a resurrection, but it would be at the end, and it would be for everyone. It would be at the end. So this idea that the Messiah was going to die and rise again, that's why they couldn't see it. It didn't make sense to them, right? So Matthew is trying to get Jews on this page that this was Christ, this was him, this is what he did, this is who he was. Um, and he, he gives us probably more of the teachings of Jesus word for word than any other gospel. In fact, in Mark, Mark's, I'm sorry, Matthew's gospel, there are five discourses of Jesus. There's the Sermon on the Mount. That's probably the most famous. Everybody's heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Sermon on the Mount. And then there's um, the uh, missions discourse. Um, there's the 
discourse of the church, the parabolic discourse, and then the one that we're in, Matthew 24, 25, is the Olivet Discourse. And they call it that because it was a teaching he gave on the Mount of Olives. And that's what gets us to Matthew chapter 24. So if you would stand, and we're going to read together. So what happens in Matthew 24, this is Passion Week, so this is 30 AD. This is a few days before Jesus is crucified. Jesus is leaving Jerusalem, and he makes a comment. They start talking about the temple, and Jesus tells them that temple is going to be destroyed. In fact, not one stone will be left upon the other stone. Like, it's, it's going to be desolated. And to that, they ask some questions, and they ask, well, what, what is the sign of these things? How are we going to know these things? What is the sign of the Messiah, of your coming? Now, coming to them meant something different than it does to us. And um, what is the sign of the end? So those are the three questions they ask. When they ask, what is the sign of your coming? They meant coming into power to overthrow Rome. We understand that as the second coming of Christ. But again, that would have not have been their theological construct at the time. Does that make sense? And so they ask those three questions. And then he answers them inversely. And so we're going to read essentially the answer to the first question, what's the sign of these things, right? Which contextually what will be, what he's actually talking about is the second coming of Christ. So that puts it in the context and here's what he says. But concerning these things and concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Because remember they said, how are we going to know? He said, you're not. No one's going to know. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father knows. For as were the days of Noah, so will the day be of the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, so he's, he's giving them a picture of Noah and the flood. Before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. In other words, he's making a case. They were just living life. Until that day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them that word swept could also be took them away, and that's important for the context, so I'll come back to that. Swept them away or took them away, so they will be so will the coming of man be. There'll be two in the field, and one will be taken. This is the same word where we just said swept or taken. One will be taken and one left. There'll be two women grinding at the meal. One will be taken, one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So we're in this series, Christ versus Culture. And today, we're talking about what Jesus says versus kind of what culture says. And today, I call this message this, do not live for today. Do not live for today. We're going to talk about what I mean by that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we sit in your presence, open our hearts just as we've opened the word and speak to us. Don't let us miss this time. Don't, don't let us. You brought us all here for a reason. Like no one is in this room by accident. No one is online right now by accident because, God, you have ordered our steps. This is a divine moment, divine appointment you have brought us to. And so don't let us miss the significance of it. 
So don't let us be distracted, but help us to be focused and receive everything that you have for us in this moment to hear you clearly in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I was laughing when I was reading that because it said, um, you know, if the, if the, the owner of the house would have known when the thief was coming. So there was, there was like a really bad, bad movie when I was growing up. And it was called um, The Thief in the Night. And it was based, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it was like in the 70s. And, and it was all this, it, before the Left Behind series, you remember the Left Behind series? Before that, we had this terrible, very low-budget film. Some of you are shaking your head because you actually saw this film. And you can still sing the song, Right. And you've been left behind. Because it's very 70s, y'all. It's like a tambourine. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, I'm sorry. I was just having a church moment. And y'all can just look at me like, God bless the preacher. And y'all need to pray for me. Anyways, but, uh, but yeah. But, but Jesus is talking. And, and this context, when he says, when they said, how are we going to know? Jesus is like, you're not going to know. And, and it's like, well, that's helpful, right? He's like, hey, you know, the angels don't know. The son doesn't know. Only the father knows. What is he talking about? What is it that they're talking about knowing? It's what we call the second coming of Christ. Some people look at this text and they view it as the rapture. Um, and to me, this is not a rapture text. Because, and, and I'll explain why in just a minute, but this text is, to, and I'm not saying there's not a rapture, by the way. I got in trouble one time. I made a comment like that, and I didn't qualify it, and somebody left the church because they said I didn't believe in the rapture, and that was a belief they held to, and so that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is not a rapture verse, and, and I'll explain why in just a minute. But what this is talking about is the second coming of Christ, and what we know to be true is that Jesus Christ is going to come again. Now, the reason that I'm sharing this message in our culture, our culture is all about, you know, the, the goal is to be happy. And, and so you're supposed to live by your feelings and you're never supposed to judge anyone. And all of those things kind of work against everything I'm going to say today. So this is Christ versus culture. Are you with me? Because the goal of life is not to be happy. The goal of life is to be holy. And we don't actually follow our feelings. We follow the Holy Spirit. We follow Jesus, right? And the truth is, we're supposed to make judgments every day. I don't know if you know this, but we are supposed to make judgments. I mean, I don't know about you, but you probably don't let your kids, if they were little, you don't let them stay with someone unless you make a judgment about that person. Some of, you, some of you wives were not sure about leaving your children with your husband until you made a judgment. Like, I don't know if he's grown up yet enough. I don't know if he's ready for this. You know, like he's good at fetching diapers and bottles, but running the whole show, I'm just not sure. You know, I'm not sure he's there yet. But I'm just saying we make judgments. And so the truth of the matter is, what Jesus is talking about is the second coming of Christ. Here's why I want to share this message is because when I think about where the, where the culture is, the culture says... Live for today. This is all there is. Earth is all there is. And you want to live your best. How many know? Hashtag living my best life. Right? I want to live my best life today. This is all there is. Be happy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Kind of like reading in the text as it was in the days of Noah. Where they're just eating and drinking and hanging out and posting on Instagram. Or the pictures of all their food that they're cooking. All the food that they're eating. Right? Amen? 
I'm telling you right now, if they dig up our if they dig up our pictures 20 years from now, they're going to be like, that's the most gluttonous generation. All they did is post pictures of their food all the time, right? And so our culture is very, the problem is, I, I think the church has kind of fallen in. I think culture's influenced the church a little bit. Because, and let me just say this, 90, 90% of the messages I hear in churches that, and, and I would even say this about my preaching, so I'm not letting myself off the hook, but so much of our preaching is about how to, how to do earth better, how to be happier here, right? How, how to prosper here. And it's almost as though we're preaching and, and we've missed the fact that this is not actually the goal. Like earth is not actually the aim, According to the Bible, your life here is a vapor. It is a flash. And then we're in eternity, and eternity is forever. But yet, if you think about it, if we, if we kind of divided up the, the fact that on earth you, you have just a flash and you're going to spend an eternity, I mean, that's infinity and beyond, Buzz Lightyear. You know, are you with me? That's a long time. Then it looks like really a lot of our teaching should be about eternity because that's what really matters according to the Bible. And according to Jesus, and even according to the Apostle Paul and most of the followers of Jesus in the New Testament. In fact, one person asked me, he said, why, why do you think the, the New Testament writers waited so late, if you will, to write the New Testament? I got asked that, like the gospel writers, because Mark writes like probably earliest would be 45. I mean, that's pretty early. Most people are going to put Mark writing his gospel in the 50s and Matthew maybe in the 60s. And they've got God, John's gospel way out in, in the 90s. Now, I don't think... For me, I think Mark's gospel is probably 45 to 50. I think Matthew's gospel is probably in the 50s. And I actually think John's gospel is before 70 AD because he doesn't reference the, he makes a reference that, that assumes the temple is still standing. And we know it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. So I think a lot of the gospels could be dated earlier than they are. But still, the point is, well, you're still talking 15, 20 years, 30 years after the resurrection. Well, one of the things I said is I said, I, I think they really expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. That's one thing. The other thing is the Jewish tradition was an oral tradition. So they just kept telling the sermons and the stories over and over and over again. I think it was actually the spread of the gospel that caused them to write it down. It was two things. They realized, I'm, getting, I'm coming to the end. He hasn't coming back. come back, so I need to write these things down. And also, we need to be able to spread the gospel. Just like when Paul started writing uh, in, in the 50s to uh, Galatian, you know, Galatia and, and then Thessalonians, and, and then he eventually writes to Corinthians, Romans, all those. He's trying to spread the word. So, so I think that, that was fine. But because here's the point. I think that first century church lived with this expectation. Jesus is about to come back right now, y'all. He's about to come back right now. He's about to come back right now. And when I grew up in church, like we would, leave, we would watch the cheesy movie, You've Been Left Behind, which was, I mean, Left Behind did a lot better than, uh, it's like Sound of a Distant Thunder, I think was the name, or Thief in the Night or something like that. that was, I think there were like two movies and they were terrible. But anyways, and all they did was just scare the right out of you. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I, I remember as a kid coming in and, and seeing like a pot boiling on the stove and mom wasn't there and I thought, dear God, I missed it. Jesus came back, and now I'm, and now I'm in this movie, and they're going to cut my head off, and it's not going to be fun. And some of you don't get all that unless you watch those movies. But anyways, it was, in other words, I was traumatized. But the point is, a little traumatization is good, I think, sometimes, because the point is, I lived, as I remember being a kid and even a teenager, living with this very real sense and reality, Jesus Christ is coming again. I'm going to stand before Jesus. I'm going to give an account for my life. Like, 
And when I stand before Jesus, first of all, I want to know I'm saved. <laughs> you know, I don't want that verse like, depart from me. I never knew you. But Lord, you know, I went to church in your name. I led a small group in your name. You know, I gave an offering in your name. I didn't know you, you know. And, and I was like, Lord, I, I don't want that to be. And so I'm just saying, we grew up in church. I grew up in church where, boy, you don't want to sin because what if I sinned and Jesus came back? What if he came back right after I sinned? You know, and, and, and then I'd have to give an account for that. And what if I didn't make it into heaven? And we kind of lived with this sense of eternity and quite honestly, as I was thinking about being a pastor in, in the day in which we live, I thought, and, and I'm going to blame me and, and other pastors. I'm not going to blame you, obviously. But I don't think we talk about it enough. The questions we get now is, well, can I sleep with my girlfriend, boyfriend, still be a Christian? Can I smoke marijuana and still be a Christian? Can I be gay and still be a Christian? Can I be trans and be a Christian? Can I, do I really have to go to church to be a Christian? Do I really have to be baptized? It's like all the questions we have today are more about how much sin can, can I be involved in? And, you know, if there is an eternity, still be okay there. In fact, a lot of Christians today don't even believe in hell. Uh, most of the non-Christians don't believe in, in a literal hell. And Jesus talked a lot about it. And not that I want to just talk about hell a whole lot. I'm just saying there is an eternity. And once you step into eternity, there are really only two options. You go to heaven or you go to hell. And I've had people say, well, why did, you know, surely if God is good and loving, he would never send anyone to hell. And I say, I agree. God has never sent anyone to hell. Never one time has God. You need to understand this about God. God didn't create hell for people. He created, created hell for Satan and his angels. Um, in fact, the Bible says he had to expand hell because he didn't really make it big enough because he wasn't wanting people to go there. He's never sent anyone there. But this is what I told someone one time. I said, let's just say you're an unbeliever. You don't believe in God. So you've heard the gospel. You've been to church. And you've said, no, I want no part of God. I don't want him in my life. Well, if you don't want God now in this life, he is too loving to force you into his presence for all eternity. So he just respects your choice. Because that's what love does. Love chooses and love respects the choice of others. So God has, never, God has never sent anyone to hell. He's just simply respected people's choice to not want him. And that only yields one other option. Are you with me? But the point is, there's, there's an end to this life. And as kids, I used to, like, we used to think about this, like, Jesus, because he's going to come. Jesus is going to come. Jesus is going to come. Like, we have to be ready. 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 And my concern is, in our culture, as I stated, our culture is just live your best life now. Hashtag live your best life. Live your best life today. And I'm starting to see that in the church more and more. And I'm starting to hear it from the preaching more and more. And it's all about, hey, have a good life today. God wants you happy today. God wants you blessed today. And I'm not saying that God is not concerned. I think God is good and gracious and kind and wonderful. And God does want to bless us. And God wants us to experience joy Right? God gives joy. God gives peace. These are wonderful things that He gives. But you have to understand this world is not what we should be focused on. And this world is going to pass away, and then eternity happens, and it's forever. And really, our time now, let me tell you the purpose of today. The purpose of today is to be ready for eternity. We're actually supposed to, in fact, if you want to know how to live according to the Bible, how to live a successful life. If you want to know how to live a successful life according to the Bible, 
then you live for eternity. You don't live for today. That is ultimately how you live a successful life. And when you really understand eternity, it starts making life make sense. Let me, let me tell you a few things as we're talking about this. Um, because the disciples come with these questions like, when are we going to, you know, when are we going to know? Like, how, how do we know, you know? And, and Jesus doesn't tell us that, but he does, he does kind of um, implicit in his in this conversation, in this discourse, again, he's standing on the Mount of Olives. Ironically, that's the place Jesus Christ will return is the Mount of Olives. Um, and so it's kind of ironic that he's standing there, and that's where this whole discourse, I don't know, for me. I'm a Bible nerd, so that's ironic to me. But anyways, how many say, that's not ironic? He planned it. <laughs> anyways, all right, so, um, but how will we know? And he says, well, and, and so he says a few things. And this is what he says about eternity. He says, uh, number one, when, when Jesus Christ returns, here's what he says. Number one, it's going to be unexpected. Like, and my thought was, if that's the qualification, he could come today because, and hear me lovingly when I say this, the world doesn't expect him to come back. But hear me when I say this, most of the church doesn't expect him to come back either. Because the churches right now, he said, as it was in the day of, of, of Moses, I'm sorry, not Moses, Noah, different Bible figure, right? Y'all remember Noah and the ark. As it was in the day of Noah, they were eating and drinking. In other words, they're just living for today. This is all there is. Noah's out there building a boat, yet they're like, no, this is all there is. Noah's building a boat. How many know it took Noah a while to build that big of a boat? Right, And they're watching the boat go up and be like, Noah's crazy. It's never rained. This is all there is. I'll have another round. I'll buy this round. Let's have another steak. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with steak. Praise the Lord. I'm going to grill one today. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Jana bought me a grill for my birthday, and we're eating good today. Amen. <laughs> Preacher's going to grill a steak. Amen. We're going to offer a burnt sacrifice. And um, <laughs> only I don't burn mine. No, it's at 1.30 in the center. That's where you got to cook your steak if you... If you go past medium rare, then you've, you've done God a disservice. Because <laughs> when he made the cow, he knew about 130, 135 is what the middle of that steak needed to be when you pulled it. How many are with me on this? Okay. How many of you eat A1 steak sauce on your steak? Okay. I have taught y'all well. Oh, there's one person that needs salvation here today. Oh, let's pray. Anyways, um, if, they, if someone offers me steak sauce for a steak, I feel like that's a preemptive apology. Like it's not good, bury it in something. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, um, but he said, as it was in the days of Noah, they were eating and they were drinking. They were just carrying on. They were saying, live for today. And then all of a sudden, Noah, Noah's like, no, y'all need to get on the ark. There's room on the ark. No, we don't care anything about your ark. It's never going to rain. We're living for today. And then Noah gets on the ark, shuts the door, and the rain starts. And Jesus says, this is how it's going to be. It's going to be unexpected. That's the number one. It's going to be unexpected. And then he says, it's going to be suddenly. He even talks about in this text, he's talking about how sudden it's going to be. He said, like a lightning flashing, like a thief coming. Like it's, it's unexpected. That's like a thief coming. But then like a lightning flash, it is just sudden. And said, so he said, here's, here's what's going to happen. It's going to be unexpected. And it's going to be sudden. And here's the scariest thing. There aren't going to be do-overs. 
Like you can't throw the flag and say, let me, let me just, I'd like to try this earth thing again. Because right now, all of a sudden it all matters. And I didn't think it really mattered. And I thought I was supposed to live for me and have my best life. And that's what culture told me. All I do is win, win, win. You know, I just. And what Jesus said, no, it's going to be unexpected. It's going to be sudden. And there's not going to be a do-over. Well, then what happens? That's what we got to ask the question. Well, Jesus comes back, boom, what's going to happen right then? Well, he tells us. He said one's going to be taken and one's going to be left. Now, we have to understand because there's a division here. And, and you can also see in this same discourse he's talking about sheep and goats because there's a division. Now, now most people, a lot of people theologically view this as a rapture, te- te- a rapture text because they said, yeah, one's going to be taken in, in with Jesus, right? And I'm not disputing the rapture, but I'm saying that's not what this actually says. Because remember when we said, when I said notice swept away or taken away in the days of Mo, in the days of Noah, those that didn't get on the boat were taken or swept away. That's the context. So when he gets to the man working and the the man in the field and the women grinding, and he said one is taken, he's not talking about the Christian is taken. He's talking about the unbeliever is taken, just like the unbeliever was taken in the day of Moses. I'm sorry, Noah. Sorry. I keep saying Moses. Let's just talk about Moses. He was a good guy. He had a really cool stick, sometimes turned into a snake. Who wouldn't want that? All right, now back to Noah. (laughs) Back to Noah. Lord help. Back to Noah. So, so, and I, I don't want to take all my time talking about the context, but the bottom line is that the unbeliever is going to be taken. Where are they going to be taken? So real quick, I've got some bad news, and then I've got some good news, okay? So let me give you the bad news. Unbelievers are taken into a judgment. The Bible calls it the great white throne judgment. So this is a judgment for only those who did not accept Christ. Time out. Let me explain what I mean by accepting Christ. In our culture, okay, I can't spend a lot of time on this. Let me just say it very plainly. My concern in the Church of America is maybe about half of it saved. Everybody else just Checked a box. Mama was saved. Grandma prayed. I go to church on Easter whenever, you know, it suits me or whatever. And you need to understand salvation doesn't come by checking a box. It doesn't come by repeating a prayer. It doesn't even come by getting into a baptism tank. Salvation comes when I completely surrender my entire life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he becomes the Lord of my life, of my everything. He becomes the Lord of my decisions and the Lord of my finances, the Lord of my sexuality, the Lord of my future, the Lord of how I live, the Lord of my morality, the Lord, like he becomes the Lord. And I am no longer the Lord of my life, okay? That is salvation. And, and because we have texts like, you know, Lord, I prophesied in your name. And Jesus still says, depart from me for I never knew you. It makes me understand there are going to be people that, for, and maybe it's because they listen to a pastor. So all you have to do is pray this prayer and you're good. That is not all you have to do. We don't get in because we recited a prayer, Right? We're born again because we surrender our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ completely and wholly and without reservation. That is what salvation... And by the way, if that is not what you have done, 
you are not saved. I don't care how many prayers you've recited. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm talking about biblical salvation, not Western Church America salvation, where we just want you to feel good about life. Okay? And so, so that's salvation. So, so what he says is, listen, for those who are truly saved, he's like, There's, we're going to talk, that's the good news. But the bad news is for those who did not accept Christ, and he came, and what was it? Unexpected. Sudden. He said, now there's no do-overs. And they go to a judgment called the great white throne judgment. Let me read just a little bit about it. Revelation 20, verse 11. It says, then I saw a great white throne, thus the great white throne judgment, right? And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books, everybody notice the word books is plural. Books were opened, and then another book, that book is singular, was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, plural, not singular. I'll explain that in just a minute. According to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. So this is, if, if, if Jesus comes back and you are not, you have not surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus you go to this judgment. That's why I said the dead gave up because this judgment hasn't happened yet. So everyone that died previously, they're being held in a hell-like place, essentially, until this judgment comes, if they didn't know Jesus. If they knew Jesus, they're in the presence of the Lord. Okay, we're clear on that? So there's two options here, right? So, bam, he comes back, unexpected, sudden, and now there's no do-over. And you're standing before him and he opens the books. What are the books? The books is where he records everything you ever did. And then he opens the book. What is the book? The book is the book of life. If your name's in there, you're not at this judgment. You're, you're, that's the good news. We'll get to the good news in just a minute. This is the bad news. My name's not in the book of life. So now he opens the books. And now he judged. Remember, God is righteous. So God cannot judge unrighteously. What that means is, remember, God's righteous. What that means is he has to reward to each according to what they did. Are you with me? So here's the bad news. If you didn't know Christ, now you're standing before him. He opens the books and he says, well, here are the things you didn't do. I mean, yeah, there's some things you did do, but your name's not in this book, so I have to render a judgment. In other words, let me, let me say it plainly. There are levels of hell. Everybody, everyone that goes to hell, their hell is not the same as everyone else's. It doesn't mean there are any good parts of hell. It just means, let's say there was an atheist, and, but he was a really good man, loved his family, went to work, maybe even gave some money to St. Jude's, you know, and raised his family, was a moral man, didn't cheat on his wife, wasn't looking at pornography, didn't give to alcohol or drugs or anything like that. He's just a good man, but he didn't accept Christ. Well, he still, if you reject Jesus, he loves you enough to force you into his presence, so he lets you go to hell. But that man, his judgment won't be the same as Hitler's, right? Because what's written in the books is not the same. Remember, he's a just God, right? 
So the truth is there's levels to hell. In fact, we, we can see it. I don't want to take time to read the text. So just right now, Matthew eleven twenty one through 24, Jesus basically talks about some places in Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, but, but in Israel, um, like Capernaum. And, and there's this kind of region of these three cities. And he's talking about there's going to be a stricter judgment on them than even Sodom and Gomorrah or Tyre and Sidon, which were all pagan places. And he's going to say, because they saw miracles and they still rejected God, essentially. And he said, he, he said because you saw all these miracles and you still rejected God, your judgment's now worse because you had a greater testimony. In fact, he said, had Sodom seen what you saw, Sodom would still be here. God wouldn't have, God wouldn't have destroyed it, which means they would have repented which is an incredible verse to me. So here's what we need to know. Here's the bad news. If I don't know Christ, suddenly, unexpectedly, no do-overs, and I'm judged according to what I've done, and I spend eternity in hell, not because God wanted me there, but because I chose to go. Now, here's the good news. Here's the good news. What if I am in Christ? And he comes back. It's still sudden. It's still unexpected. Well, I think the point of this text is hopefully we're expecting, Right? It's still sudden, but hopefully we're looking, like Paul said, look, those who loved his appearing. What does that mean? In other words, as a church, we're really supposed to live, live loving his appearing, looking for it, saying, Lord, you're going to come back. One of these days, you're going to come back, and I'm going to be ready, and I'm going to be prepared because I can't wait to see you, and nothing would make me happier than if you came back today, Jesus, right? Well, it's still sudden, hopefully not as unexpected, but it's still sudden, but here's the thing, if you're a Christian, you go to a different judgment. Now, it's still a judgment, but this judgment looks a lot different because this judgment, just like over here in that first judgment, the great white throne judgment, people were judged based on their sin and they were sentenced to damnation based on their sin. On this judgment, you're judged based on the good things that you did and you're rewarded based on the good things that you did. So you need to understand conceptually, heaven, just like hell is not the same for everybody, heaven is not the same for everybody, which is, is good news if you understand it. By the way, the message that, that Jesus Christ is coming again and the message that there is a hell is actually not an unloving message. It is a merciful message. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad someone told me there is an unexpected suddenly day coming with no do-overs because based on that, I was able to make a decision. I don't want to go there, right? That was very merciful to tell me what was on the test before the day of the test. Didn't you just hate those professors that had the surprise test? With the chapter that they never assigned you to read? There's a place for... I'm just kidding. Anyways, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But it's a merciful message to say, hey, there's an end coming and there's a judgment coming. Please don't go to the judgment because you can make a decision today and not go to the ju that judgment. But if you choose Christ, still suddenly, hopefully more expected... But then we stand before what Paul calls the judgment seat of Christ, or theologically they call it the Bema seat. The Bema seat is, is it's just a, a word borrowed from the Greek, essentially, 
where Paul's in Corinth, and I'll read the, the verse in just a minute, but he's in Corinth, and they had a judgment seat or a bema seat, and it was really a place where they had like games like the Olympic Games, and the judges would sit on this elevated platform so they could see who won and who was in second and who was in third, and they could reward each based on how they finished. Do you see what I'm saying? So then Paul says this, right? Paul says, so 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat or bema seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Matthew 16.27, Jesus says, For the Son of Man will come in his glory, that's the second coming, and his Father with... Glory of his father with his angels. And then look, he will reward each according to his works. Paul then says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, talking about the message of Jesus, the gospel, if they build on it with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear. Now, when he says building on it with gold, silver, precious, in other words, he's talking about what you do with the gospel, right? He's not talking about like building a better sermon, but he's saying when you take the gospel and the fact that we're going to stand before Jesus and we're going to be rewarded for what we did. So listen, what I believe now determines where I spend eternity, but what I do after I believe determines how I spend eternity. Do you see the difference in those two statements? Believing in Jesus or not believing in Jesus determines where, which judgment. Are you going to the great white throne or are you going to the judgment seat of Christ, right? But if I chose Jesus, I go to the great, great, I'm not, sorry, the judgment seat of Christ, right? And then he's going to reward me based on what I did with the gospel. What did I do with it? Not just did I receive it, but what did I do with it? And that's why he says, when you build on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones. Well, what's gold, silver, and precious stones? Well, if I took in the gospel and I understood the gospel and that meant, oh, I need to serve people and I need to love people and I need to give to this mission project and, and give to the church and, and I need to tell people about Jesus and lead people to Jesus and I need to pray because if I really believe all this, I have to pray. Well, those things become gold and silver and precious stones. But let's say I received the gospel, but I didn't do a lot with it. It becomes wood, hay, and straw. Now, why is that important? Because he said each one's work, this is verse 13, each one's work will be clear for the day, that's that judgment day, will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures... He'll receive a reward. In other words, those things I did with the gospel where I loved people and served people and told people about Jesus and, and brought people to church and, and where I invested and I read my word and I studied and, and I prayed and I tried to live a godly life and point people to Jesus. And then I do, did good day, deeds in the name of Jesus. It says those things are going to be endured or they're, they're going to endure that fire and I'm going to receive a reward. This is the good news. I've got a payday coming. Are you with me? But he says, if anyone's work is burned up, he's going to suffer loss. But he'll be saved, yet those through fire. In other words, it is possible. Think about this. So just like if I go to the great white throne judgment because I never accepted Christ, 
I will be punished according to what I did. But if I accepted Christ, I go to the judgment seat of Christ, then I'm rewarded based on what I did. It is possible to be there and have no reward, but I'll still be there. But it is also very possible that I'll be greatly rewarded for what I did in the name of God. Now, why is that important? Because somebody say, well, I don't care as long as I'm there. But you do. Because this is eternity we're talking about. See, Jesus said things. In fact, in Matthew 24, he talks about the parable of the talents. Most of us have heard that. We just didn't know it was in the, the Olivet Discourse, if you will. But he talks about he gave talents to his servants, and some of them invested, two of them invested wisely, and one just buried his talent in the ground, essentially, right? But if you remember, the two that invested wisely, he said, good job, essentially, well done, good and faithful servant. And then if you look at the parallel passage in Luke, he actually says, enter in and rule over 10 cities. So here's what he said, because you were faithful in this life, you will now rule in this life, right? And so my faithfulness in this life determines what I'm put in charge of in the next life. It determines how I live in eternity. You see, there are passages where Jesus himself says, lay up or store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Now, why does he tell me to store up treasures in heaven? The streets are gold. I mean, you know, there's pearly gates, everybody. Why does he tell me to do that? Well, because if Jesus is telling me to store up treasure in heaven, I can rest assured it's not for him because he's not narcissistic or selfish. If he's telling Marty Strait to store up treasure in heaven, it's because he knows Marty Strait is going to either need or want those treasures in heaven. So he is warning me now, hey, when you get to heaven, it's really going to matter on how you spend eternity with what you do in this life. And when you get to heaven, you're going to want to have stored up some treasure in heaven. You're going to want to have stored up for yourself something there. And so I'm telling you now, this is going to be on the test. I want you to pass. I don't want you to get up there and say, well, I didn't know it mattered. Honestly, that's why I'm preaching this message. I don't want anyone in Pathway Church to get to heaven and say, I wish somebody told me. What I'm telling you is this, that what I believe now determines where I spend eternity. But what I do with what I believe determines how I spend eternity. And what Jesus is telling us, eternity's coming and it's, it's going to be sudden. And for a lot of people, it's going to be unexpected. But there's no do-over for anyone and this life was just a short time, and then all of eternity. And what does this mean? What does this mean? This means to me, it, it, here's what it really means. When eternity is in focus, earth makes sense. When I'm focused on eternity, earth makes sense. A lot of people struggle with earth. Earth doesn't make sense to me. There's suffering, and there's pain, and things don't go right, and blah, 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 blah. And I get it. And if you think this is all there is, it doesn't make any sense. 
But when eternity is in view, I realize, hey, this is a fallen world. And God is working a grand plan of eternal redemption. And right now, for just a little while, as the Bible says, there is suffering and there is pain. But that is going to be swallowed up in glory. And we are going to step into eternity and be, and be the, the, God's people in eternity. And we're going to be blessed and we're going to be rewarded for all of time based on how we live today and what we decided today. And now that infuses every moment with purpose. I could sleep in today or I could go to church where I might could encourage someone, where I might could be a part of the body of Christ, where, 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 where I could serve and give and lay up for myself treasure in heaven, or I can have another cup of coffee and sleep in. And by the way, if you did that, I love you. And it just came to me and I'm not trying to be condemning. You can still make it for the next one. Anyways, um, <laughs> but I'm just saying, all of a sudden, serving makes sense and giving makes sense and even suffering makes sense because it's just a little while. And yes, there's suffering in this world, but this world is not all there is, not all there will be. This is the warm-up and the preparation for eternity where there's not going to be tears, there's not going to be suffering, there's not going to be pain. If you know Jesus, if you accept Jesus, if he's the Lord of your life, you enter into eternity and you're blessed and you're rewarded and you're in the presence of God and with the angels for all of time with no pain and no suffering. It's a good deal. It starts making sense. Like it really is good news. Here's the good news. This life is not all there is. That is good news. And that's why I said, Jesus would say, don't live for today. But kind of a play on words, you know what he would say? But live today for eternity. He wouldn't say, don't live for today. He wouldn't say that. But he would say, live today like eternity's coming. And it's coming suddenly. For some, it's coming expectedly. And when it comes, there's no do-overs. So live today for eternity. Do you get it, Pathway? Let's live today for eternity. Amen? Come on, can you give Jesus praise today? Why don't you stand, <clears throat> stand with me? I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And we want to pray for anyone who needs prayer for anything. We do this in all of our worship experiences, and we'd love to pray for you. Everyone else, let's just bow our heads for just a moment of prayer and reflection. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you? As you bow your head, take just a moment before we leave. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this message, about today, about your time here? I don't believe anybody was here by accident today. Just take a moment and say, Holy Spirit, what, what are you saying to me? God, I do. I pray you'd speak to, to all of us, Lord. God, today, this message had some really hard news, but also some really good news. We talked about some difficult things, but we also talked about some things to expect and look forward to with anticipation. 
Lord, I, I just pray for all of us that just the, that message, that, that focus, that, that just being conscious of e- eternity. Lord, let it, let it be more towards the front of our mind than just somewhere in the back, like, yeah, someday, maybe, I don't know. But, and God, help us, help us to live every day like eternity could come at any moment to be prepared, to be ready. To live every day laying up treasures in heaven, to live every day investing in the kingdom, to live every day building with gold and silver and precious stones. With our heads bowed, no one's looking around. I just... I want to say today, if you're in this room and and you're uncertain about your relationship with Jesus, I I just want to tell you, I'm not going to do the normal, let's raise our hands and pray together. And and I'll tell you why. It's not to be mean. It's it's because I I think if you really want to surrender all of your life, it starts by just walking down to the front. And we're not all going to watch. I'm not trying to embarrass anyone. I just think that when it comes to following Jesus, I think walking down to the front is... In my personal experience, I would say if, if, if I can't walk down to the front to accept him, I probably won't walk and live for him when I leave here. It's got to be that real. It's got to be that kind of decision. And, and so today, if you, if you need to be forgiven, if you need to know that you've been saved and you've surrendered your life and Jesus is Lord of your life, then in just a little bit, I want you to walk down when we dismiss. And I want you to tell somebody, hey, I need to be saved today. I need to be forgiven today. But for all of us, church, I just, I want this message to fill our hearts and resonate within us that eternity's coming and we want to live for eternity today. And so, Father, I just pray again, Lord, for those that need prayer. Lord, for those that need to be forgiven, that need salvation. If they're watching online, Lord, they can text pray with me to 94,000. But God, I pray you would draw everyone that needs prayer, especially those that may need to be forgiven. And Lord, meet with them here. And Lord, for our church as a whole, help us to live today for eternity. Lord, help us to love your appearing. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise? Yeah. Hey, Pastor Marty here from Pathway Church. And I just want to say thank you for joining us. And I want to encourage you to get connected and stay connected. And there's several ways you can do that. Number one, you can download the Pathway app. And we are all the time offering resources and information on that app for you. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. And if you do, make sure you click the bell so that you never miss any life-giving and life-changing content as we add it to the channel. And then also, uh, make sure you follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook. Look, our hope and heart for you is that you walk in the purpose for which God made and created and redeemed you for. We love to connect people to purpose. We thank you for giving us this opportunity. And if you're ever in Longview or you are in Longview, I'd love to invite you to join us in person each weekend. Listen, I pray God's best for your life. I believe If you follow Jesus, your best is ahead.